0: Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, let, let me remind you that coming up on Sunday, November the 1st, we started talking about this last week, is our next Friend Day. Uh, again, it's going to be different this year in terms of, you know, we won't be able to do the big buffet uh, brunch or lunch and uh, no uh, inflatables out on, the, on the, the campus and that sort of thing. But uh, our big prayer is that it will be different mainly in another way, and that is it will be different in terms of, that we will invite more people to join us this year than ever before. It's such a unique period of time in our history, not only as a church, but as our country, as our, in our world, and there are so, so many people who need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or who knew or perhaps have known Him in the past and just simply drifted away and need to be invited back. And so Friend Day is an opportunity to invite people into uh, an experience with church which, in which they will experience the presence of God and, help, and hopefully then take their next step toward coming to know Christ, if not coming to know Christ even that weekend. And so be praying about who you're going to be inviting. Uh, you received an email this week. You'll receive that email again in the days ahead as well. But it's an easy way to just simply... For that email to a friend to invite them and give them the information about it, we're inviting them to join us—not uh, uh, live in person, but we're also inviting them to join us online as well. So again, be praying about who you're going to invite to come and be a part of that. Well, as you know, we we are in our study, and thank you, Michelle, for a wonderful children's message this morning. But we are in our study of the fruits—the uh, fruit of the Spirit. There's nine of them. We are on our fourth one, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. 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 <laughs> um, we are delighted this morning uh, to have as a, our special guest uh, a gentleman who's going to share his story this morning, Dr. Lowell Robertson. Uh, Lowell is one of our physicians that served on our reopening team who did such a tremendous job in preparing for our live time together. And, um, and Lowell is going to come and share his story about God's patience in his life and his patience as well. So l- let me pray for Lowell and then let's listen closely to what he shares. Father, we give you uh, thanks for your work in, in Lowell's life. Lord, bless him, we pray, as he shares this morning. Give him freedom as he shares. I pray that you would fill him with your spirit. And, Lord, that you would open all of our hearts and our ears to hear what it is that you want to say to us personally through the words that he shares. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. My name is Lowell, and I'm an internal medicine, addiction medicine doctor at Oklahoma State University, and I work in the National Center for Wellness and Recovery. When I think of patience, I think about it in two different ways, patience that God has shown me and patience that God is instilling into my character. His patience has been shown to me all of my life. I was 14 years old when I asked Christ into my heart. When I went away to college at Oklahoma State, I felt on fire for the Lord, but I was very pious. I got judgmental and expected everyone else I ran around with to be just as sold out to Christ as I was. Looking back, I was not humble and thought of myself as better than others. I got married in 1984 and started medical school at the University of Oklahoma in 1985. I knew from an early age that I was going to be a doctor. My dream was to take care of everyone, make house calls, and be the perfect doctor. It was during these years of medical school that I lost my commitment to the Lord. My thought life and sexual purity went downhill. When I graduated medical school and became a doctor, it consumed me. I worked 100-plus hours a week, and this consumption with my career was the final straw for my marriage. I was acting like I was God, and I didn't want anyone else telling me what to do. I had also been turning to alcohol over the years, and in 1998, I got caught with alcohol in my system while practicing medicine. The medical board was notified. Their recommendation was for me to be evaluated, but I had no desire to be sober. I walked away from the practice of medicine because of my pride. Even though I had given up on me, God had not. He is so rich in mercy and is patient with his children. He had bigger plans for me than I was capable of seeing at the time. After my fourth DUI in 2016 and being thrown back in jail, I finally hit rock bottom. I knew I couldn't keep living like this. Things had to change, beginning with me. I cried out to God. And he was still there, patiently waiting, probably shaking his head, saying, It's about time, son. I don't know. What I did know, though, was about Celebrate Recovery. It was clear to me that I was supposed to get involved. I got baptized, declaring that Jesus was not just Savior of my life, but Lord of every area of my life. My biggest struggle early on in my redemption to Christ was with patience. I was on fire again, but not tempered. I started saying yes to everything the church asked of me. It was all really good stuff, but I got overwhelmed. I would charge into battle. I might ask God beforehand, but I didn't always wait for him to answer. God says, be still and know that he is God. That is hard for me, but I found the value of resting and waiting patiently for him to direct my steps. In 2018, God started directing me back into the practice of medicine. I didn't think there was a path back because of my past. I started meeting and talking with physicians on the medical board, and what I met was grace and favor as my peers were willing to help me back into the practice of medicine. My path back into medicine has had cost and pain and sacrifice and has built my patience immeasurably. The end resulted in getting my medical license back with some restrictions. Today, I only have five days left and those restrictions can be lifted. I also have four years of sobriety today. God has given me a new purpose in life, and that is to help his children suffering with addictions to find hope and restoration and be delivered from the chains that bind them. And then once they're sober, to encourage them in their walk with Christ, make disciples, teach them to make disciples, and fulfill the Great Commission. His purpose, God has brought me back into the practice of addiction medicine and put me exactly where he wants me simply to help me fulfill that purpose, his purpose. So I stand before you today as someone so thankful for God's patience, and I will continue to to patiently wait for his spirit to continue to work in and through me. All glory be to God.
0: Thank you so much, Lowell, and uh, boy, how exciting, uh, about to get those restrictions lifted, and, and, and happy anniversary on the four years, that's just fantastic again, thank you so much, so very much. Uh, patience, patience, it, it, the, the word that James, uh, excuse me, the, the word that uh, the Apostle Paul uses there for patience is the, uh, the, the Greek word makrothymia. Macrothamia, macro meaning long, themia meaning anger or heat. In other words, long to anger, long to heat up, long-tempered, long-tempered, patience, patience. There's an old Peanuts cartoon uh, where Lucy is praying at her bedside, and all of a sudden she gets up and walks out. And as she's walking out, she bumps into Linus. Linus says, w- w- what are you doing? She said, well, I-, I, was, I was praying for greater patience and understanding, but then I quit. He said, well, why'd you quit? She said, well, I was afraid I might get it. (laughs) Well, I guess there there probably are a select few here and there who don't want more patience, but most of us do. I, I for one, do want some more patience. I'd like to be a lot like this guy right here, this uh, polar bear. You see that? (laughs) Oh, that's patience. Let me ask, have you noticed how impatient people are right now? How impatient people are. Psychiatrist with University of California, Irvine, captures the problem like this. He writes, we're dealing with three disasters superimposed on top of one another. The pandemic, the economic fallout, and civil unrest over social injustice. In effect, we are living in a big anger incubator. And we might also add on top of that a very contentious presidential race. Again, one anger incubator, totally void of patience, totally void of patience. One of our young men who works on a part-time staff is a great example of what I'm talking about. Um, he had to give up, he gave up his day job uh, at a large retail store because he got sick and tired of people getting in his face and cussing him out for the stupidest things. You know, one of them cussed him out because they thought he was taking too long helping another customer in the process. I mean, it is absolutely amazing. So many people are living life right now with a very, very short fuse. The lack of patience is almost palpable in our society right now. Well, let's make it personal this morning. Another pop quiz. Not, not as many questions as last week, and don't answer this one out loud. How would you complete this sentence? How would you complete this sentence? I personally need more patience with regard to what? I personally need more patience regarding what? I need more patience in the matter of what? How would you complete that statement? <clears throat> probably one of the most definitive passages in the New Testament on the subject of patience is found in the book of James. And I suspect that, that James, if, as you kind of get to know him in Scripture and, and, and as you study his book, he probably was one who, who needed that patience himself. And so he's very well acquainted with that, which he writes. James chapter 5 in verses 7 through 11 Uh, What he's doing in his little book is he's addressing uh, Christians who have been financially ripped off, they're being economically oppressed, Uh, their kids are being kicked out of school simply because of the fact that they're Christians, Uh, they're being persecuted by incredibly unethical people. In other words, he's addressing Christians who need a lot of patience, a lot of patience. So he begins that section of chapter 5 by just simply saying, therefore, be patient. Be patient. Came across a, a great definition a while back of patience. It goes like this. Patience is quietness of heart and rest of soul in the face of uncomfortable delay. Again, quietness of heart and rest of soul in the face of uncomfortable Delay, and I would add, because I trust the plan and purposes of God. We are dealing with all kinds of uncomfortable delays right now, are we not? I mean, there's the uncomfortable delay of this brutal pandemic that just will not let up, there's the uncomfortable delay of, of the economic changes and the job market. Uncomfortable delay of wondering when in the world things are ever going to get back to some semblance of normalcy and everything from school to church. Uncomfortable delay in terms of social justice and peace. And then add to that any number of ways in which you personally may be experiencing uncomfortable delays in your personal life and family. Again, in verse 7, he writes, therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, Until the coming of the Lord, James says. Interesting, isn't it? Why do you think that he calls our attention to the second coming of Christ at that point? Well, the perspective that we typically have of any delay in life is almost always the here and now. I mean, me, myself, and what I'm going through right now. And so what James is doing is calling us up to look beyond me and myself to an eternal perspective instead. I mean, think about it. If there is is no greater reality that is yet to come when everything is going to be made right upon Jesus' return to this earth, then what's the point of having patience for very long at all? I mean, it's like the the old beer commercial you know, you only go around once in life, so get all the gusto you can get, you know, and get it as fast as you can. James says, no, no, be patient. Look beyond yourself. Look at life with eternal perspective. Look at life with faith in light of the return of Jesus Christ, at which point he will make all things right. And then James illustrates the patient kind of waiting that he's talking about here in the next part of verse 7. He says, The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Ask yourself the question: why is a farmer able to wait like that? Why is a farmer able to wait? It's because he knows that waiting is not a useless or meaningless exercise. He knows that while he waits that amazing things are taking place, that radical change is happening. That, that, that seed that he planted back in, in, during the, the early rains that James mentions there, the seed that he planted is doing what? It's germinating. And as it germinates, it, it, it shoots begin to, to sprout out of that, of that seed and, and make their way toward the, the surface. And then they break the surface and then they grow blossoms and the blossoms grow fruit or produce. If you think of patience as simply a meaningless exercise where you just sit, or sit around and twiddle your thumbs while you're waiting for something good to happen, it's going to be very difficult for you to recognize that God is at work While you wait. While you wait. James is talking about a patience where just like the farmer waiting on the crops, you embrace the Spirit of God at work in your life, at work within you. Again, patience is a fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It is produced by the work of the Spirit in your life. And so because of that waiting itself, Waiting itself it has meaning and purpose. It, it, it's, it's not only about what you're going to get at the end of the wait. It's about what God is doing in and through your life as you wait. It's, what you are, it's about, also about what you are becoming while you wait. Which, when God is at work, you're becoming more like His Son, Jesus Christ. But, <laughs> James knows... This is not easy for us to do. He says in verse 8, You too, in other words, words, just like the farmer, you too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. See, when waiting gets difficult, it's easy to start having heart problems. (laughs) It's easy to, to start allowing your heart to just go down any path that feels like going down, which most often than not is the path of discouragement. Because here's what happens so oftentimes. Remember, we have an enemy. We have an adversary. It's called the devil. And what will begin to happen is as you patiently, try to patiently wait. He starts to whisper some interesting things in your ear. Like, you know, it sure does seem like God is a whole lot better to so many other people than he is to you. Maybe God's not really all that good after all. You know, maybe, maybe God just loves others more than he loves you. And, and what's, what's this deal about belief? Can you re- really believe the Bible? And, and prayer, what's the point of praying? It, it doesn't seem like he's really listening when you pray. James says, no, no strengthen your heart, fight for it, fight for your faith. In fact, here are three good heart-strengthening questions that you can ask while you wait. Number one, what am I learning about myself? What are you learning about yourself? Maybe you're learning that you didn't have as much patience as you thought you had. Number two, what am I learning about others? What are you learning about the needs and feelings of others during that time? And then number three, what am I learning about God, about God? You know, one of the things that, that King David is famous for, of course, in the Old Testament is killing the, the Philistine giant named Goliath, named Goliath. I mean, this Philistine giant w- was threatening the army of, of the Israelites and coming out every you know, day after day and, and huffing and puffing and, and threatening to blow their house down. And, and, and they're, they're all running scared. I mean, even the man who was king at the time, Saul, they're all running scared. Well, David was the youngest of his brothers. So while all the brothers get to go to be in the army, David has to wait. He has to stay back and take care of his father's sheep while they're out there with the army. Well, one day David's father asked him to take some fresh supplies to all the brothers who were in the army. And when David walks into the camp, I mean, he's absolutely astounded by what he sees. He can't believe all all these these Israelite army, the the entire Israelite army is scared of of this one Philistine giant. He just can't believe it. And he expresses that. Well, he's brought to Saul and he tells Saul, he said, I can kill this giant for you. Well, how did David come up with that kind of confidence and courage? It came from waiting, from waiting. You see, He learned while he waited. While he waited, he he was getting to know God. He, He was writing psalms. He was learning about the love of God, about the care of God, about the wonder of God, and about the power of God. You see, one day when David was out tending his sheep, a big old bear came along, and David killed the bear. And he knew he did that only because he had the help and power of God. In the process. Then a lion came along. And David killed the lion. And he did that knowing that the only reason he could is because God was with him. And so when King Saul asked why in the world he thought that he could kill Goliath. Maybe you remember what he said. First Samuel 17. he In essence says, while I tended my father's sheep I fought bears and lions. And then he says, the same Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. Will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, part of what you learn as you patiently wait is that you cannot face Goliath on your own. You can't do it. But with God's help, with God's strength, with God's power, you can. That's why patience is a fruit of the Spirit. That's why patience is produced in your life through the power, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work. You experience it as you depend daily upon His Spirit's help. You see, the mark of a Spirit-filled life is not some uh, supernatural momentary manifestation. It is daily trust and dependence upon Him, allowing Him to work in and through your life. Strengthen your heart, James says. Because if we're not careful to do that in times of waiting... James knows that not only are we subject to discouragement, but we're also subject to a very common sin, the sin of complaining. (laughs) Verse 9, he writes, Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Years ago, Jerry Lee Lewis wrote a song, A Whole Lot of Shaking Going On. (laughs) He would title that song today, A Whole Lot of Complaining (laughs) Going On. There's a pandemic of complaining going on. And notice I refer to it as a sin. That's because it is a sin. But it's so easy for us to be complainers that we minimize that. We don't think of it as a sin, but it is. And it's a sin that obviously God takes much more seriously than we do. That's why James says, the judge is standing at the door. See, sometimes we have to be very careful when we complain because sometimes when we complain, what we're saying is, you know, I think if I was in charge of my life instead of God, I could do a lot better job. (laughs) Are you a complainer? I, for one, find it very easy to slip into complaint mode these days. (laughs) And when I'm around others that are complaining, I find it to be very contagious. I, I just end up joining right in far too many times. And and by the way, it's more than just verbal complaint. In fact, it's it's interesting, the the word that James uses here can refer not only to outward verbal complaints, but also to those complaints we never outwardly verbally express, but that are very present deep down in our hearts in the form of bitterness and resentment. And it just kind of lies and smolders there unless we deal with it. James is saying, be careful. Be careful so that you, as he writes, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Again, God takes our complaining very, very seriously. I mean, the the idea here is to live every day as though Jesus is about to return. The image that he presents is the image of, of Jesus standing at the door with his hand on the latch about to open it up. In your current status of heart and mind, let me ask, in your current status of heart and mind, If it was just like it is now, how would you feel if Jesus came back right now? How would you feel? We are to live each and every day as though Jesus could come back now. Give us some thought. Think about this. If you truly lived every day as though you knew Jesus was coming back that day, how differently would you live? How would your life be different? Would you complain? Would you have more patience? How would it be different? Well, when waiting includes suffering, another thing that begins to happen is that we can also find ourselves starting to feel very much alone, alone. We start to feel like we're the only ones that that are going through whatever it is that, that we're going through. And James writes then, because of that, in verse 10 and 11, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job's perseverance. Let me ask you, what's the difference between patience and perseverance? I I love the the, uh, definition Dr. Paul Tripp gives to it. He defines perseverance like this. He says, perseverance is patience with legs on it. Patience with legs on it. There's a firmness of direction and purpose. So so James is saying, if if you need, if you're feeling very much alone right now, And you need some encouragement. You need some inspiration. Just look to the Old Testament prophets at all that they went to, at all that that they went through, all that they experienced. And especially, look at that one we think of as the superstar of suffering, Job. Job. You know, in, in the book of Job, it's only, I mean, it's not only, it is 42 chapters long, 42 chapters long. But in just the first one and a half chapters, you remember what happens? Job loses all of his family except for his wife. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. And his, and his, wife, his wife tells him, you just, ought to, you just need to curse God and die. You just need to curse God and kill yourself is what she's saying. I suspect that Job and his wife probably didn't lead a lot of marriage enrichment seminars, do you think? Well, then for the next 36 chapters, Job suffers, but God is silent. God is silent, but his friends are not. <laughs> I mean, they think they have all the answers as to why Job is suffering. In fact, they, they, at one point, they accuse him of refusing, they, and they stick to this. They accuse him of refusing to admit to having some terrible, unconfessed sin in his life for which he, he, he's obviously being punished. By the way, Job did not remain silent during that period of time. Many, many times he tells God exactly how he is feeling as he suffers. But James writes, verse 11 again, he says, You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. See, it's not until you get to the very end of the book of Job that you finally get to see what God brought about in his life. As James said at the end of verse 11, Job saw that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job experiences a a radical heart change, a radical heart change. In fact, he describes that heart change in in chapter 42 and verse 5 where he writes, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He's talking about the eyes of his heart. In other words, before all those crazy and terrible things happened in his life, he describes his relationship as being one where he just simply knew about God. But then as he persevered, as he patiently waited, he began, as he describes it, to see God with his heart. He no longer just knew about God, but he came to know God in as intimate way as he possibly could. James is reminding us, as hard as it is to imagine as you are going through it, the great reward of patience and perseverance is a life-transforming experience with the God of mercy and compassion. So the big question to ask as you patiently wait in the midst of this pandemic in the midst of, of whatever uncomfortable delay it is that you are experiencing in your life, is not why, Lord, but rather what, Lord? What is it that you are, are wanting to do in my life? What is it that, you're gonna, that you are going to do in my life because of your compassion, because of your mercy? What is it that you're going to do in this unique period of time in my life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your compassion that never fails. We thank you for your mercy that is unending. Father, we thank you that in the midst of our uncomfortable delay, that as we seek to patiently wait, that we can do so with the confidence that you are at work through the power of your Spirit, not only producing, as you produce patience as we wait, but then through the power of your Spirit, you are in some way, shape, or form making us more and more like your Son. You're bringing about a, a radical change in our lives. Lord, may we patiently submit to that change process. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.